We are a community that loves like Jesus, and my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you, not just today, but every time you tune in. We're continuing our sermon series called the Sermon on the Mount, and today's sermon is a little bit different. It's titled, Woe to Us. Today, we're going to take a small sidetrack from Matthew's version of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look at Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount because his is a little different, and add some woes to the sermon. So in Luke chapter 6, verse 24, it says this, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Now there's another passage that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to just have you tuck that away just for a little bit. It's 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. It says, little children, guard yourself from idols. So Luke has these woes that Matthew leaves out for some reason. Now, of course, that's debated all over the place that Luke includes these and Matthew leaves and the reason why we really don't know. But Jesus says in the Matthew version, blessed are those who are poor and blessed are those who mourn and blessed are those who are being persecuted. While these people in Matthew are being blessed, these people in Luke, the rich or the well-fed or the people with good reputation have woes on them. Well, this means that if the road that you're on is in, it includes this comfort, then there is sadness ahead. There is woe headed your way. If there is a comfortability, there is pain and disappointment that comes on these types of roads. Well, like the Beatitudes, which are road signs that you're headed towards for eternal life, now we don't do them and we don't do the Beatitudes to get right with God. We do them because we are already right with God. There's much fruit that can come out of a relationship with God in these ways. The, the woes also are road signs that are headed towards the pathway of destruction. Those that are rich, well-fed, people who are speaking kindly of, there's some bad news or there's some warnings that are ahead that if you find yourself in these situations, there's possibly some pain and disappointment coming your way. So if Jesus is saying that those that laugh are headed towards a wrong direction, does that mean that laughing is evil? If Jesus says that wealth heads us towards a pathway of destruction, does that mean that wealth is evil? Kind of doesn't make sense because wealth and laughter and being well-fed sounds like some security. To me, it sounds like a security blanket a little bit. So let's unpack this. By American standards of a convenience alone, we have many conveniences that we have. We have conveniences of going anywhere and everywhere we want to. We can cross state lines. And when COVID lifts, we can cross international lines. We can just travel anywhere, eat whatever we want to, drink whatever we want to, as long as it's legal and eat whatever we want to, as long as it's legal. We have conveniences from coast to coast, north to south, that we are all, according to Jesus, on a woe road. So I guess you're a goner, I'm a goner, right? 
well, we have to figure this out because I don't think that's what Jesus means, that these are inherently evil. And if we have things, or if we are well-fed, or think people speak kindly of us, that we are necessarily on a pathway of destruction. So to understand this, you have to understand that Jesus and his disciples were very Jewish. Him and his disciples were very well trained and definitively trained in the Old Testament. So you have to put this Luke 6 scripture into the context of that the Old Testament background. And in the Old Testament, there's a genre of literature called the woe oracles. So when Jesus talks through the woes in Luke 6, he's tapping into these woe or oracles. So the woe oracles, if I can say that 10 times really fast, the woe oracles in the Old Testament were spoken in the context of covenant, just like the rest of the Bible. So the woe is a covenantal concept, just like the, the Beatitudes are a covenantal concept as well in Matthew. So if you, if you break covenant with God, and this of course always results in breaking covenant with others, you're headed down the road of the woes. So if you are deliberately set off in a different direction, or you are performing a series of course of actions, then you will experience a woe. It doesn't, Jesus is not meaning that if we just make some mistakes or make some bad decisions that we are on a pathway of destruction. If we deliberately set off in a different way, or we have a deliberate series of course of actions in our life, we will ex that are the antithesis of God's commands and contrary to the will of God, then the woes will be spoken over us. It doesn't mean that you're doomed. It just means you're headed in the wrong direction. It's a warning sign. It's like a big red flag that's put in front of you to say, stop, turn around. It's time to go down a different path. So what the woe oracles are not saying is that if you go down this road, that God is going to come and kill you or wipe you out or purposefully destroy you. It warns you of the destiny that it leads you to. So Paul unpacks this in Romans and explains that God gives us over. So we are on this pathway ourselves. And, and we've made the decisions, the deliberate decisions to walk away from the commands and the, the will of God. So God gives us over to our ways. That if we deliberately go down these roads, and Paul says God will give us over and let us walk down the path, and this is called what Paul terms the wrath of God. This wrath of God and that concept of God giving us over is the backdrop in which we need to read this passage. So keep in mind that God is not saying that there is anything wrong or evil with being wealthy or well-fed or laughing or people speaking kindly of you. What he's saying is that if you are well-fed, if you are wealthy, if you are laughing, we're going to unpack that a little bit, or people are kindly speaking of you, that you are potentially walking down a pathway and a warning that you could be walking down a pathway to the road. So how do we break covenant with God? Well, we, when we use anything in our life, and it can be anything, and we consider that more important than God, that the thing that we love so much plays a role in our life that only God is supposed to play, then that is idolatry. So just like 1 John says, and the warning, I warn you, of the idols, it sets us on the woe road. 
So if you are wealthy, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's the acquiring of wealth becoming our idol. So if you are the have-tos, you have that billionaire disease where you have to just have more and more and more and work harder to get it and climb that ladder and stomp everyone around you. It's If it's getting life and fulfillment from that, well, then that threatens your ability to be generous and it, and it threatens God's commands in your life, and we threaten the covenant of God. I, I used to say all the time that rich people didn't get rich by giving it away, which there's an ounce of truth to that, that, that there's a lot of rich people out there that are, are inherently like self-consumed, and they have to have more and more. I also know a lot of rich people that are extremely generous, and they have the attitude I'm rich, therefore I need to give it away. I need to be generous as God has commanded me to be generous. So idolatry feeds off of a false god, that the money creates security. And if we crave to get riches now, then we won't be hungry for the riches of God. And if you're just trying to be satisfied today and not hungering and thirsting for righteousness today and in the future, then that sets us down the road, the pathway of destruction. So if we hunger for God's goodness, then we are blessed. So what is the word there? To not strive and to acquire at the expense of others, your love, your generosity, and the fruit of the Spirit. Well, we also have this idea of well-fed. And in the ancient world, well-fed meant that you had a safety net of food. So it's kind of a metaphor, an illustration, or a word picture. So that, that if you were well-fed, you could provide food for others in famine. So people would have storehouses of food, and they would store their food in the storehouses, grain in the grain house, so that when famine would come along, then people would go to those places to retrieve or to get a portion of food. It was a provisional idea. And so those that were well-fed, though, ran the risk of not being generous to store up in their house and not being generous with their abundance. So it, in a hand-to-mouth situation like Jesus lived in, there were people with safety nets around them. And not everyone had that. So if you can imagine Jesus giving this sermon, woe to you who are rich, woe to you who are well-fed. Well, there were poor people and there were hungry people in the audience and they could probably sit there and just resonate with that really well. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> woe to you. I'm hungry and I need some hope. I'm hungry and I need, I need cared for and I need provision from God. So if we make an idol about anything, like the well-fed mentality, that all of my provision is taken care of, so therefore I need more, well, that's living in scarcity as well. That's the scarcity mindset and the hedonic treadmill, like I've mentioned weeks ago, that, that is produced in a never-ending cycle of wanting more and needing more and never feeling like there is enough. So feeding off of false gods for such things, for security, will not allow us to hunger for the right things. Well, the same is true for laughter. Jesus, I don't believe, is saying, don't be happy like the cosmic killjoy Jesus, right? He's not saying that laughter is evil. It's a natural response to something that's funny. We laugh, right? Well, in the woe oracle, we are laughing in a way 
that breaks covenant with God. So how do you do that? Well, you laugh in a way that belittles somebody. And I can think in our modern society that we laugh and we're snide in our responses uh, and we're snide in our character. We weaponize laughter, let's say in, in sarcasm. Sarcasm threatens all kinds of, of relationship and, and intimacy and close relationships. Sarcasm is a weapon and, and that, that's when laughter becomes a weapon to relationship. So I would say, though, that there's some practical things there, but I would say more that Jesus is referring to the laughter lifestyle. He's talking about a lifestyle that in our day, that would be the partier. That would be the person that laughs their way through life with entertainment and song and living life to have as much fun as possible in the now with the least amount of pain and the least amount of sacrifice uh, uh, to, to, to their life to do such things, to maybe just have as much as they can, spend as much as they can, and drink as much as they can, right? Well, that's the carefree life. And I do not believe in the carefree life. That's not what Jesus ever promoted that we would have be free of care. That actually means to me free of loving others. And so that's uh, the carefree life is really the non-accountable life. When you don't worry about anything and anyone and you only live for today, that hurts people. It not only damages yourself, but it damages others. And ultimately, that damages the command of loving others that God has given us. Well, this is usually synonymous with getting approval from others. We're always looking to be the life of the party. Why? Because we're looking for attention. So this is in contradiction. The, the woes are in contradiction to the Beatitudes in Matthew. The woes in Luke are in contradiction to the Beatitudes in Matthew. So we cannot be the life of the party. We cannot be the wealthy. We cannot be the overly focused on acquisition. We cannot be the well-fed to stinginess or to selfishness and actually have a life focused on God. Well, there's something that needs to be acknowledged here as well. And as Jesus is saying that there's nothing intrinsically evil about being wealthy, well-fed, or laughter, or having a, having a positive reputation, there's nothing intrinsically righteous about being poor, hungry, or mourning, or persecuted. It's just the advantage that Jesus is speaking here to the crowd of people who are poor, hungry, mourning, and persecuted is that they will not and cannot get life and eternal life and life on earth, really the capital life on earth, from wealth, food, laughter, and popularity. The only place that we can receive life from is from God. So just the nature of human nature, though, there's a temptation. And as we believe in the invisible God, right, that can give us life here on earth, we have life, little l, on earth, that we have a false sense of security here that comes after us. And in a sense, security seeks us out. The things that, that, that present themselves as false security bombard us and, and constantly message us 
every day in the now. So I get a fitness magazine every month. And what's interesting in this fitness magazine is about 30% of it is about fitness. And the rest of it is about what you can have or what you can buy or what you are supposed to look like if you bought this or what you are supposed to look like if you acquired that or this, right? What's well, a little unnerving because we are told in society that if we don't have or if we don't look like or if we don't behave like such and such or this or that, we're a failure. And of course, now we have this massive anxiety called FOMO, and that's the, the fear of missing out. So if we're not doing something or we're not participating in something, so not only do we not look a certain way, have a certain thing, but now we're not participating in something, we will do everything and anything possible to say, stay clear of insecurity and the fear of missing out. So we have a desire inside of us, and that desire is to satisfy our innermost well-being, our hearts, our minds, and our souls. When we feel heartache, we want it to go away. When we feel depressed or we have anxiety, we want that to go, to go away. If we feel soul pain, if we feel the pain of relationship and the lack of love, let's say, we have a desire to satisfy these things with something. And that something can very easily be idolatry, that we can run after wealth, we can run after fun, we can run after relationships, we can run after all kinds of things to ease the anxiety of life. Well, there are some great things that we can participate to ease such desires. That innermost satisfaction that we need of the heart, mind, and soul, we can participate in things that develop a deeper sense of self, a deeper sense of relationship with others and with God, like silence, like nature and meditation, like prayer and reading, like being with people that, that fill you up and that you can speak into each other's lives and build each other up, as the Bible says, and carrying each other's burdens. These are the things that we can participate in that fill us, that create us, that can recreate the heart, the mind, and the soul, the innermost being in our life. This is where we can find life on earth, a satisfied life on earth. And then there's other things that create woes, like the constant need and the desire to have more, the constant need and the desire to be affirmed, the constant need and the desire to be the life of the party, wherever the life of the party is for you, the constant need and the desire to have things and acquire more stuff and to have bigger and better than this person or that, or you see something, I need this or I need that, or I should be doing this, or that person is participating, I need to participate. All this creates woe in our life. It actually is like a toxic, caustic acid on our heart, mind, and soul that we can never have enough of these things to be fully satisfied and fully whole. So what we end up trying to grab ends up grabbing us. What we own eventually owns us. And when we think we can use something, then that something ends up using us. So what do we need to do according to 1 John? We need to be careful to guard our hearts. When we are full from the bread of idols, that is when we no longer hunger and thirst for the bread of life.
And we, when we try everything in the now, we end up having nothing in the future in our life. So living for now, I could say is important because there's things that need to be done and bills that need to be paid and work that needs to be accomplished. Yes, that is the now in light of the future that we hold in Jesus, that we would hunger and thirst for his righteousness in the now and the future. So how does this play out? Well, I think in the last couple of years, we have really endured a lot of trauma. We've endured a lot of disruption and friction, not only in relationships, but in society in general. We've endured a lot. And other people have endured a lot more than I have. I think about just this last week, my aunt Melissa died from COVID. And she was my last surviving um, aunt by blood. And I think about all the life that I had with Melissa and how she participated in raising me when I was a child and all the love that she poured out and the, the gift that she gave me of a home. And she taught me how to ride horses and appreciate animals and, and all these things that she, she taught me. Well, she was taken from this planet here this last week where she contracted COVID in a rehab facility and she died just days later. Life has been hard over this last two years. Life has been really hard. And as life gets hard, sometimes we start grabbing for things. Sometimes we start striving for things. Sometimes we feel like we've been taken from so much that we end up taking. Sometimes we feel like life is not giving enough, therefore we stop giving. Sometimes we feel attacked enough that we reverse that, oh yeah, so I'm not gonna turn the other cheek, I'm gonna attack back. So it plays out in all kinds of things. Maybe it's just an attitude we have, maybe it's just our words that we come out angry or we sound just jaded or we sound resentful. Um, maybe we have bought more, done more, acquired more in the last handful of, well, two years than we ever have in our life. Or maybe we've just felt completely taken from and broke that we've treated people around us pretty bad. Life is hard. And I would say that the last couple of years have been hard. So how does this play out? Well, it plays out when our focus changes. Our focus changes from God and eternal things to the temporal things. In the last couple of years, I would say that, you know, for example, the fight that we've had in politics, that one group of people loves a politician and, the, and another group of people hate the same politician. And we start getting into our, into our quarantine groups and we get around people that are falsely affirming us. We get around people that are just our, our sounding boards of the same opinion. We never have alternate opinions and we end up just belly rubbing together. And we give ultimately a person or an idea way too much power than they deserve, like in politics. Well, it plays out in the acquisition of things and, and maybe it plays out in what we do with things, like the focus on, let's say, our bodies and how we look, and it's not about fitness, it's not about health, it's about aesthetics, and aesthetics can consume us. A lot of us have stayed at home, and maybe you've 
put on some pounds over the last couple of years, like all of us have. Sometimes that kind of stuff can become very consuming in our life. How about putting our spouse in an unfair position of being your everything, everything, but when they fail, when they fail us in their ungiftedness that they weren't even gifted to do, they turn out in the end to be our nothing, nothing, right? So we kind of put somebody on an idolatry pedestal that they're supposed to be my everything, which that is just an unfair position. So keeping up with your friends, debt acquisition, equal and better stuff, living in the have-tos and I must do these things, these are the things that are going to create idols in our life and will, not, will no longer cause us to live for the future, but only live for the now. So when we hunger for the things of the now, we no longer hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. And so Luke promises that there will be woes on that kind of road. But Matthew promises that if we live in the antithesis of that, we will be blessed. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the Luke 6 passage that is just a warning signal, a sign that, Lord, to make lifestyle adjustments, to turn our minds and our hearts and our eyes towards kingdom things, towards Jesus. Lord, help us to love. Help us at everything we do and even the things that we acquire, even the things that we participate in, even the food that we have on our table, Lord, the relationships that we have around us, that they would all speak love, the love of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.